Hi, my name is Aisha McGowan, and this is Quick Brown Foxes, a podcast that seeks to answer the question of how to get more women of color into cycling by asking women of color how they got into cycling. Today, we're speaking with Dawn Wright, a geographer and oceanographer who's the leading authority in the application of geographic information system technology in the field of ocean and coastal science, and also a cyclist. I'm Dawn Wright. I live in Redlands, California, uh, near Palm Springs. I am the chief scientist of a mapping company, which is called Environmental Systems Research Institute, or ESRI. I'm originally from uh, the Hawaiian Islands, and uh, I love cycling. I love to bike, road and mountain. Sweet. How did you get into bikes? Well, I started off as a basketball and track athlete. Uh, I was uh, playing basketball in, in college. Uh, I was a uh, 100, 200 long jump uh, track person, and I was on track to uh, at least try out for the 1980 Olympics uh, in the long jump. Uh, during this time, I was living in Hawaii, uh, where, where I grew up, and my uh, coach uh, had me on track very nicely. But there was a, uh, a death in our family and also a, uh, a separation in our family because uh, my, my dad took off and we became a, a two-person family, my mother and I. Uh, and with her mother being uh, terminally ill in Maryland, in Baltimore, Maryland, which is where that side of the family is from, uh, she decided to pull up stakes and move us back to that area. So we moved back to uh, Columbia, Maryland, south of Baltimore. And uh, this was when I was in high school, so it wasn't the happiest of times for me. It wasn't a very happy transition. <laughs> I, I did continue to, to play basketball and, and run track, but I suffered a very serious knee injury. Nowadays, it would not be considered as serious, but back then, this is in the 1970s. Uh, the, of course, sports, uh, nutrition, sports care, uh, the, the care of, of injuries, especially for female athletes, uh, the proper ways to train female athletes, that was very, very different uh, than it was, uh, than it is today. And, um, yeah, I can and imagine. so that, that was pretty much a career-ending uh, injury for me in terms of, of running. Uh, fast forward uh, to, to college, and I continued to, to run, but as a distance runner, uh, but with keeping my sprinters build. So that was not uh, good for my knees. And uh, during this time in the 80s, though, I was uh, following the exploits of Greg LeMond, and really, uh, Greg LeMond and I are the same age. Uh, and so I was just blown away by, by him and by what he was doing in Europe. The fact that he was uh, a cyclist because in the, in the 80s, cycling was not uh, on the radar of, of the sports world in the US. It's not, I would say it's not on the radar now uh, unless you're, unless you're <laughs> into gravel. Uh, and I'm not quite into gravel yet, though I did enjoy Unbound. I did enjoy uh, looking at those uh, highlights. At any rate, 
uh, I kept my eye on him and on his story. And when I got to uh, graduate school, uh, there's a lot that went on between college and my PhD. I won't go into all of that, but suffice it to say, I, I spent a lot of time at sea because I'm an oceanographer by training, and what I really do is make maps of the ocean floor. And when I finally got to UC Santa Barbara for my PhD, that's where I really discovered cycling as something that I could do, that I could participate in, because uh, the basketball and the track were far behind me. Uh, I was uh, I was there for for a PhD, so it was pretty pretty intense. But UC Santa Barbara uh, has uh, had back then and still has a really amazing cycling team, collegiate cycling team, and so I joined that team uh, as a graduate student and started learning about racing with them. It was not pleasant uh, because the cycling scene in Southern California, at least as I experienced it, was you sink or swim. You can either keep up with the pack or you're left behind and you, you, get, you find your own way home. It was <laughs> sort of like my cross-country coach uh, in high school who uh, was, was really tough and he would uh, pick us up at 5 o'clock a.m. before classes drive us uh, out to this old uh, remote place on some old country road, drop us off and, and say, run back. Uh, and if you didn't make it back before classes started that morning, you were missing school that day. <laughs> you either found a way to do it. I feel it, like there are probably <laughs> laws against that <laughs> I <now>. know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way that the cycling scene was uh, for me. In uh, Wait, I'm going to okay. pause you. Okay, wait. That was a lot. All right, so you moved back to Maryland, and then you went to college where? I went to college in uh, Wheaton, Illinois. I went to Wheaton College, a small, private, liberal arts college. And, uh, and there you still ran. And, and I played basketball and, and ran. But the, uh, what, what I did okay. there was uh, distance running because uh, I had the... Gotcha. I had the injury that ended, ended my sprinting and long jumping. That injury occurred in high school, uh, but I was, but I was right. still running. Okay, so then from there, you, I'm assuming there's grad school in between undergrad and your PhD at UC Santa Barbara. So where yeah, did you I'll go just, for... Yeah, I'll just give you the full timeline so that it's not confusing. Okay. <laughs> I'm old, so there's a lot that's happened. <laughs> I'm 61 <laughs> now. Uh, that's not old. <laughs> uh, so I went to, to college at uh, Wheaton College in Illinois. I uh, was a basketball player. Uh, I ran uh, track, but it was uh, 1,500 meters to 10,000 meters. <laughs> yep. uh, and then, and then I ran uh, cross country just to get in shape for, for basketball. Uh, from there, I went to uh, Texas A&M University uh, to... Okay. To do a master degree in oceanography, and that is where uh, I did start to to cycle recreationally, and that that is okay. the connection to what I was describing before about my fascination with Greg Lamond, and about uh, following his story, and so. Did you discover him? How did you discover? I discovered him, him through uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, magazine because okay. at that time Sports Illustrated uh, was covering uh, all sports. There wasn't much information about about him because of course our 
sports media landscape is dominated still by football, basketball, baseball, hockey, and so forth. Uh, but I did find out about him uh, through Sports Illustrated. The other interesting part about this, though, is when I finished my master's degree, I got a my first job was as a marine technician on a seagoing uh, research vessel that went all over the world to take core samples of sediment and rock to reconstruct the, the past climate and uh, tectonic history of the world's oceans. And so I was at sea for two months uh, at a time, two months on, two months off. And among the, uh, the marine technician crew that I was with, was uh, this guy, uh, uh, Larry, who was an avid cyclist. And he was really into the history of the sport. And during our breaks, we would go out to the helicopter port of this ship, and he would sit down and tell me about Greg LeMond versus Bernard Hinault and everything that he knew about European cycling. And, of course, I was transfixed by that. And, and loved all those stories. Was he, um, was he American? Yeah, he's a, an American guy, uh, a cyclist himself, and just someone who, who was following the sport, who was following cycling as closely as other people would be following uh, the Dallas Cowboys or, or you know, our, our favorite sports How team. How could you do that in America back then? Like, what was the medium that you could get information yeah, from. Yeah, he was getting his information from uh, from magazines and from European newspapers. Now, this, keep in mind that this is also before the Internet as we know it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it was very fascinating to me that he, he knew all of this information and that he uh, was taking the time to impart it to me because of my, my interest uh, in cycling. So... Yeah, there, there you go. That's pretty yeah, rad. That's pretty, pretty cool. So by the time I finished that job and decided to go back to school for a Ph.D. Uh, at UC Santa Barbara, uh, that is where I did discover their, their cycling team. And uh, having uh, by then I had adopted cycling as my sport because uh, the basketball was done. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the running uh, was, was still going on, and I was running marathons by that time. But uh, I was uh, still injuring my knees. <laughs> no big yeah, deal. Yeah, still, still injuring my knees because with a, with a, with a heavier body type, you know, that I'm, I'm not made for marathon running. <laughs> but cycling uh, is, as we know, this fantastic uh, low or no impact sport. So that became my sport. And I looked into uh, competing, training and competing on their, their cycling team, which we did. Okay. I'm going to okay. pause you again, and we're going to go back again. So you said that when you were in Texas, that's when you picked up recreational cycling and you found Greg LeMond in Sports Illustrated. Was that when you learned to ride a bike, or is that when you decided you really enjoyed it as a Ah, uh, yes. So uh, everybody should know how to, to ride a bike. Uh, I learned in Texas uh, how to ride a road bike and how to use toe clips, uh, with cleats. So then how did you learn how to ride a bike? Well, I had given, how did I get a road bike? Somebody gave me a road bike. Uh, no, 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 not the road bike. The first bike oh, you the ever first rode. Bike I ever how rode? did you learn oh, how to ride I it? I just uh, taught myself. I, um, I think I was given a, a bike for Christmas. I think I had training wheels and 
gradually uh, we took the training wheels off and I just uh, took off on my own and learned to to ride. <laughs> Mo- <laughs> How most old things, are you? Uh, I was uh, self-taught. Uh, I was, I think, around six or seven. Yeah, my, my background is interesting in that standpoint because my father was this amazing athlete. He was uh, drafted by the Detroit Pistons. He was a tennis coach. He was a basketball coach. He was a semi-pro basketball player. And uh, as a little girl, I grew up uh, idolizing him and wanting to be like him, and I was into all kinds of sports. But I had to teach myself everything. He was not a good father. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so I ended mm-hmm. up teaching myself how to play basketball, how to play softball, uh, how to play tennis. My mom finally got me into a tennis club, and I taught myself uh, how to ride my bike. And uh, other kids in our neighborhood uh, had bikes, and so it was a natural thing to to uh, enjoy biking, especially by taking a little playing card uh, and a clothespin and putting that in your spokes, and then your bike is suddenly upgraded to a <laughs> motorcycle, <laughs> or at least sounding like a motorcycle. <laughs> So much fun. Okay, so now we've got that. The road bike. Some someone yes. how did so, you get the road bike and how did you learn? So the to road ride bike, uh, I got into that thanks to the friends that uh, I had at work because uh, at, as I mentioned I was a marine technician uh, when we were not at sea and we worked for Texas A and M University. So when we were when we were not at sea, we were two months uh, on the Texas A and M campus. And there was a group of, of guys, uh, other technicians, who uh, rode their road bikes every day for lunch break. And so they were very, very helpful to me. There was also another friend of mine who was on my technician crew who was into cycling as well. So the two of us females would go out with them on their noon uh, lunch rides and try to keep up with them. They were very helpful in terms of teaching me how to to ride uh, a road bike. I am blanking on how I actually got a road bike. Uh, it was, uh, I, I really can't remember how I got my first road bike. Maybe they let me borrow, borrow theirs. Uh, because um, I don't okay. have, I, there's a really fantastic story of, of how I got uh, another precious road bike while I was at UC Santa Barbara. And I can tell you that story when that part comes up. But uh, my getting into cycling in terms of road cycling and possibly thinking about competing, that was thanks to, to their kindness and their help. Okay. So we moved from Texas. You did a bunch of work and learned more about Greg LeMond while doing work. And you were, I'm assuming this vessel was just in the middle of the ocean. You guys were just in the middle of the ocean sitting on top of this. Yes. What, do you, so, what would you call so it? This, a ship? Uh, this ship. And this ship uh, still exists and is still out there. It's called the Joides Resolution. Uh, Joides stands for Joint Oceanographic Institutions for Deep Earth Sampling. This is an international, this is a drilling rig that was refurbished into a scientific drilling vessel. So it has a whole series of laboratories on it. That is so cool. And when they they bring up the core, I mean, they they, they have the same, they have a, a big drilling derrick, uh, drill pipe, drill bits, the same uh, equipment that they would use to drill for oil. 
except on this ship they drill mm -hmm. just for the rock and the sediment samples and then they analyze those samples uh, on the ship. So it's a floating scientific That's laboratory. so cool. And it goes from point to point throughout all the world's oceans. So as an example, when I was first sent out, uh, the ship was in Antarctica. So we were flown to Punta Arenas, Chile. Uh, we got on the ship there, and then we uh, went south uh, to into the Weddell Sea, not far, in fact, from the area where they just discovered the wreck of Shackleton's uh, Endeavor or Endurance. Uh, anyway, we were uh, in the Weddell Sea for two months drilling, and then we went from there to the Falkland Islands for a port call. Uh, and then the next time that I got uh, onto the ship, we went from uh, Sri Lanka, Colombo, Sri Lanka, um, to back to Colombo, Sri Lanka. And the way that this... Uh, That's so and, cool. And so my, my time on the ship <laughs> took me through the, the, uh, from the Antarctica to the Indian Ocean and then across uh, the Pacific. And the way that the technical crew works is that you are on the ship to support one two-month cruise and then you, when that two-month cruise or expedition is finished, you go back to headquarters and the other technical crew takes your place and they are out for the next two-month cruise that goes to the next series of sites. Then when they are finished, they fly home and you go back out. So it's two months on, two months off. That's pretty neat. Okay, so you're just sitting on the top of the ship in the middle of the ocean, talking about Greg LeMond yeah, and cycling? Yeah, on a helicopter port. Yeah, the, <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in, the ship is... I'm assuming it's, is it the 70s, the eight? No, the 80s, right? This is the right? 80s. This is the 80s? Yeah, this is the early 80s. I, okay. Let's see, I, this is the late 80s, because I graduated from college in 1983, and uh, I went to graduate school from 83 to 86 at Texas A&M, and then I got this job as a technician from 1986 to 1989. So uh, think back wow. into our cycling history, and that was during the time that, that Greg LeMond was winning, uh, winning the tour. And uh, the, I would say the infamous uh, story about his, uh, the relationship or lack thereof with Bernard Hino on that, on that same team, all of that was going on in real time. And so my friend Larry, Larry Bernstein, uh, was following that extremely closely through his his magazines and his newspapers and, and how he was getting news from Europe. And uh, on our That's on our breaks, <laughs> we would go out to the helicopter port on the ship to, and this is a huge ship, it's 471 feet long, and it's got a huge helicopter Yikes. port at the back so that literally, yes, a helicopter can land, uh, mainly to evacuate somebody if there's an emergency. But anyway, we were, we were out right. there uh, just taking a break uh, and and uh, having our lunch or getting fresh air, and he would uh, tell me these stories uh, and, and tell me what was what was going on with the tour. Apropos, wait, how is he getting this stuff on the ship? Oh, he was uh, the way that we got news uh, back then was we would get uh, magazines or newspapers and take them with us uh, to read over those two months. But we did get uh, little bits and pieces of news from uh, Telex. Uh, again, this is before the internet. And also, uh, we had to communicate with Shore by ham radio. 
So what we would do uh, once a week <laughs> is that we would place a ham, our, our doctor on board the ship. We had a doctor with us in a hospital, thank goodness. And the doctor was also a uh -huh. ham radio operator. And so he would do a ham radio call uh, from the ship to his friend in Ohio. And then his friend in Ohio would place a collect call to whoever we wanted to talk to, our mom, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> so I think Larry, during his ham radio calls, was also getting, uh, getting his news that way. Uh, from his from That's his people insane. on shore, yeah. <laughs> it, Man, I'm I've been complaining about having to watch races via Twitter, and <laughs> that puts me to a, shame. Gives you a new perspective. I tell you, it's it's fun being old, and and uh, <laughs> you can think back to these things. That is definitely <laughs> more work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So you've done this, and then you decide you're going to be a part of the the racing team at UC Santa Barbara, how, like, did you find the club and then just decide you were going to join it? Did someone find you yeah. or how did that happen? So, uh, so cycling, I think on most university campuses is still a club sport. Uh, certainly at this time and this, and now we are in, uh, 1991. So I'm a student at UCSB, uh, and I discovered, uh, the team through one of the campus event fairs, you, you know, the, the clubs and the uh, uh, all of the the activities on campus, usually during orientation, during the fall quarter, or at some point like that, they have the the campus fair and all of the teams and all of the club sports, all of the uh, the other clubs like the the singing club or the book clubs or, or whatever clubs, um, theater. They they were. Uh, advertising their activities, and you could sign up. And so that's how I discovered UCSB Cycling, and I, I signed up and found out uh, where they were meeting for their training rides. Um, at that time, it was um, pretty neat because Dylan Casey uh, was on that team, if you if you know Dylan. Uh, he he rode for U.S. Postal with, with Lance. Um, boy, my memory is... Um, there was another uh, rider that, anyway, at that time, UCSB Cycling was was pretty well known uh, as a collegiate cycling team, and so they had some really amazing people on that team. Uh, I remember Trevor Thorpe. Trevor Thorpe uh, would speak to me because this is also a part of the, the cycling scene, you know, in Southern California. Uh, you're, are you cool enough to talk to me kind of vibe? Uh, and if you're, if you're not already, uh, if you don't know what you're supposed to know, then I don't have time for you. And, oh, you're a woman, you're a black woman. Uh, yeah, whatever. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that, that kind of, I am not a fan of any of yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, but, but that is, that oh, is our no. reality. And, uh, especially in the early 1990s, I mean, we don't have, a v, we didn't have a V Abundance Summit or uh, Quick Brown Fox or, or any of any of the fantastic communities and activities and uh, the, the the Black Foxes. None none of that. You see, what you guys are doing now is just absolutely fantastic. And so for me, someone as a as a cyclist and just as a person, a Black person of my age, seeing what you are doing, uh, it is just uh, it is. It's beautiful. It is uh, it is nectar for the soul, but uh, that's really sweet. Well, of you for to for say. those Thank of us you. from from my generation, in any 
uh, specter of, of life. And I could tell you stories about being a, a scientist. You know, it's the same thing with the scientific community. Or uh, there were, uh, I went on to be a professor at, at Oregon State University. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other podcast. Let's stick to the cycling. So I go back to the cycling team. Uh, Trevor Thorpe <laughs> was a, uh, a U.S. national criterium champion, I think, by that time. And everybody looked up to him. Uh, he he was a really quiet guy, uh, but he was kind, and he would speak to you, and he would uh, give you tips every once in a while. And uh, there were also a few women on the team. Uh, all of us uh, who who were not at the level of a Trevor Thorpe or a Dylan Casey. Um, oh gosh, and I'm blanking. I can't believe this. I'll have to go to my my web page. Uh, if you'll uh, allow me <laughs> to do this, because this is also very important. I have some of this on my my website in terms of my my old cycling stories. And we'll be sure to share that information because I there's just no way we're going to be able to encompass everything that you've done <laughs> in the time that we have. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I know you're going to have to be editing this like uh, crazy. Adam Laurent. Adam Laurent uh, went on after UCSB to uh, race in the, uh, the Olympics, uh, track cycling in the Olympics, and he also was part of the first U.S. Um, it was sort of like a cycling league. Uh, it, it didn't take off. It was sort of, it was sort of like the women's uh, soccer, where they, they tried to have a league at first, and they had these uh, criteriums, uh, and they were trying to get coverage in the magazines and on TV, and it just didn't take off. But he was good enough to, to be in that league. Adam Laurent also took the time to work with us who were first-time cyclists, including all of the women, and he gave us uh, training tips, gave us a little training journal. Uh, and started to, to be our coach because, as you know, with collegiate cycling, there is no coaching. You, you, just, you just do it, and you show up. Uh, you plan all of the, the races. Uh, everybody races at each other's uh, universities, and uh, it's all done by, by the student athletes, unless you are Stanford because uh, Stanford used to always scare us to death because they had the best of everything, they had, uh, they were like a, uh, a continental uh, pro team, and they had coaches and all of that. But anyway, fast forward, uh, I really, despite all of those struggles, I had a wonderful experience with UC Santa Barbara on the, on the cycling team, and that was my major racing experience, and we ended up getting uh, a bronze medal at the 1994 Collegiate national cycling championships so I have that bronze medal I look at it all the time <laughs> and it helps me to cool. complete my training rides <laughs> because now I ride to keep from turning into a blob <laughs> I'm also riding uh, hard right now to prepare for this dive to Challenger Deep so cycling has been wonderful for me for from that standpoint as well tell me more about this dive so uh, where to begin there, uh, Challenger, I'll, I'll just explain what Challenger Deep is for your listeners who, who uh, may not know. Challenger Deep is uh, the world's deepest, it's the deepest spot in the entire world. It is the 
Nope. It is, <laughs> and I know you you don't like uh, the ocean and, and water. So nope. <laughs> so bear with this uh, oceanographer here. Uh, the deepest? You mean like the deepest spot on the whole planet? Yes, it is over six point oh seven goodness. miles oh, deep. Oh, that sounds so terrifying. <laughs> and it's 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 not. It's really it'll be uh, what we oceanographers call the ocean inner space as as uh, compared mm -mm. to outer space. So for us to go into the ocean like this, it's similar to the people who go up into space in SpaceX and the, the space shuttle and, and that. So fast forward without going through all of the details, my company has a relationship with Caladan Oceanic, which is a company that is owned by Victor Vescovo. Victor Vescovo is an equity investor, uh, but he's also a fantastic explorer and he has uh, his own company uh, Caladan Oceanic uh, with his own ship and his own submersible which he commissioned uh, by Triton submarines to be built to withstand uh, the pressures of all of the world's deepest places. So he and his team have completed what is known as the five deeps. They have taken their ship and their submersible which is called the limiting factor and they have taken that submersible to the five deepest spots in all of the world ocean, to the uh, deepest places in the Atlantic, in the Indian Ocean, and Challenger Deep is the deepest of them all. And Challenger Deep is uh, off the coast of uh, Guam, so it's in the Western Pacific. And uh, my company has supported them uh, in terms of providing a mapping technology that they use when they when they go out to these places, um, they can their ship can map the ocean floor, and uh, that data are being contributed to what we the global community is building uh, as a world map of the ocean floor because we do not have uh, that map yet. We have these great maps of the surface of the moon and of Venus, and we know about all of the mountains on Mars and and all of that, but we don't have that for it's for our own planet. If you had to estimate, or if you could, what percentage of the ocean floor do you think we have mapped at this I point? I can give you an exact percentage. It is 23.4% right now. Of course now. you can. <laughs> Wait, 23.4%? Only 23.4% so yes, is, is mapped. There's so much we don't exactly, know. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. My work here is done. <laughs> Now, I'm talking about detailed, a detailed map, a map that is similar to uh, the maps that you see on Strava, where you can uh, see all of the, everyone's uh, routes, the, the roads and the, the, the hills mm -hmm. and mountains. We do not have that for the ocean floor, for 80% of the ocean floor. So, uh, fast forward to this dive. And you're going to go to the deepest so, part. So, Victor, Victor has asked me to, to dive with him to Challenger Deep. And Challenger Deep was first visited by two men in 1960 uh, by, by Jacques oh, wow. Picard and Don Walsh. And so they set that record for going to the deepest spot uh, on our planet. And then James Cameron, the director of Avatar, uh, he went uh, several decades mm -hmm. later. And then Victor got involved and he, he built the limiting factor, which is able to, uh, because both of those other submersibles uh, were not able to dive after they went that deep. 
In fact, when, uh, right. when the first dive was made, uh, there was a crack in the windshield, which was very concerning. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, no, don't and, like uh, it. Yeah, uh, the, the, the pressure down there is 16,000 pounds per square inch. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's it's the uh, there are many ways to describe this, and I can give a link to your uh, for your readers so that they can see a beautiful story map that describes uh, all of this. At any rate, what Victor has done is to build the submersible that can go uh, go down, come back up, and can be reused uh, to go multiple times, and it can go uh, anywhere okay. at any time to any depth. And so he is taken down with him. Uh, another 18, uh, tw- 20 people have gone to Challenger Deep. He's asked me to go as the first person of African descent, uh, the first black male or female, because he's taken down the first woman. And this is a great story because the first woman to go down with him is Kathy Sullivan, who is also the first American woman to walk in space. So she is now known as the most vertical person in the universe because she has been <laughs> up into space, mm. way up into space, and then she has gone to Challenger Deep. Victor himself is now the only person to have descended to Challenger Deep. He just went up in Blue Origin's New Shepard uh, space flight, so he's now been to space. He did that a couple weeks ago, and he's also climbed to the top of Mount Everest, as well as all of these, the seven highest peaks when do y'all find the time? <laughs> well, he, uh, this is his, his passion. Uh, this is his independent, self-funded project. For me, uh, I've been uh, given a couple weeks off uh, from, from my job uh, to do this. So uh, I leave next Wednesday, and uh, I've been in, oh, I've wow. been in submersibles so before. Yeah, I've, uh, and I've done this type of science before, because what we're going to do is we're going to take a special mapping instrument, and we're going to map uh, the, the bottom of Challenger Deep so that we'll have a more detailed map of what that region looks like. And then we will share that map with the scientific community. Uh, we, we also oh have goodness. ways of uh, photographing and, and taking video of creatures down there because there is life uh, down nope. there. It's, 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 <laughs> no, no, it's no, not no, scary. No. <laughs> Basically, the only thing that's able to live down there are little shrimps, little amphipods. Uh, at those tremendous pressures. Yeah, but okay. anyway, <laughs> uh, I, th- this is where the cycling comes in because to uh, I'll, I'll be at sea for, for a couple weeks, which is nothing compared to what I used to do. But now at my age, when you're on a ship at sea, uh, there are lots of stairs to climb. Uh, the compartments of the ship are, uh, there are heavy steel watertight doors. So it, it does take a lot of upper body mm-hmm. strength. Uh, and then I'll be down in the submersible for, it'll probably be a 10 to 12 hour dive. So I've been uh, okay. working out with a personal uh, trainer and cycling has actually helped my uh, flexibility uh, in, in my lower body and my core is strong. So especially the, the mountain biking to give me that explosive uh, power and strength in, in my legs. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. So the, the cycling has been part of my uh, preparation for this. That's so awesome. <laughs> well, congratulations. I'm not a scientist, but I can objectively see how cool this is and how exciting it must be for you having done so much of this work to have this opportunity. So, well, thank you. And I know you're a musician uh, and uh, music music yes. will be will be part of this as well because we always it'll be a 4-hour descent 
and a four-hour ascent. And so uh, playing music, uh, beautiful music in the submersible will be uh, part of the experience and keeping us on task. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you get to choose the songs or who makes oh, the playlist? Oh, Victor, he is the pilot. So uh, he, he it runs everything. <laughs> this is his submersible. He's, he's in charge of everything. So he chooses the music. I am uh, the quote-unquote mission specialist, and, and I will be running gotcha. the sonar. But he uh, has the choice. Whatever he would like to do, my life is in his hands. So whatever his playlist is. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's, that is trust. <laughs> it is. All right. Well, good luck and have fun. Well, I think it's so cool to see how, I mean, like I've always said that all kinds of people ride bikes and like the paths that cross and the trajectories yeah. that happen is just beyond what the industry bothers to share and it always frustrates me because it's like like what you're doing is so cool but we wouldn't never really hear stories like that in conjunction with cycling we always hear about the bike racer or the sometimes we'll get to hear about the commuter or the advocate if we're lucky but like these you know so many people ride bikes so many kinds of people ride bikes and they're also doing really cool things that aren't necessarily bike related yeah. Um, but well, it's like the yeah. young woman, the young woman from Austria so cool. who won the Olympic gold medal in uh, Tokyo. The the women's road race came out of nowhere, shocked yeah. everyone. And she is a, I think she's a postdoc, a, a PhD. She has her PhD. She she's a scientist. She has a whole life uh, aside from from cycling uh, that that we would mm -hmm. not normally hear about. But we got to hear her story because she won that Olympic gold medal and. Those of us in the mm -hmm. scientific cycling community, we just went bonkers. It was thought, this is so <laughs> awesome. And it was great that it was the women's uh, Olympic road race that brought us that story. And she also does not want okay, to be sponsored so and, and all of that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm not going to take up any more of your time, but I can see you and I think that your Intermarche jersey is so cool. Binium! Binium, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Being a Binium yeah. fan myself. So yeah. I just wanted to say that out loud that you are showing your support, even though this is only audio for our listeners. I wanted them to know that you were wearing oh, thank that. You. And the last thing is, if you had to give advice or encouragement to yourself, someone that would associate with you or identify with you, what would you tell them? I'm going to, to tell a uh, Katanji Brown Jackson story because she uh, told the story during her hearings when she was uh, having a, she told the story of her experience on the Harvard campus and how difficult it was. She was walking across campus and was passed by another black woman who, uh, they did not know each other, but the other woman leaned over and uh, said to her, persevere, uh, and that, that meant so much to her, and that's what I would say uh, as well, persevere, uh, and be proud of, your, of, what, of who you are, uh, be proud of your ability to be resilient as, as you are, uh, Ayesha coming back from this, uh, from this uh, surgery and, and all that you have um, overcome with what was going on inside of you, uh, and not being able to get help for that for, for too long, way too long, persevere. And uh, 
the what's at the other end uh, is is worth that journey. I agree. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Thanks so much. That was that was awesome. That was a lot of science for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know a lot of folks that listen to this that are going to be really really excited to hear about you and what you've been doing, and even just hearing your stories about college and <laughs> I don't know it's just so cool I don't I don't know I feel like sometimes we get into these patterns of like what we find cool and entertaining and amusing or even just interesting and every now and again you come across somebody who's just you associate with so strongly but also they do something that you don't understand at all and <laughs> yeah. that is how yeah. I feel right now and that is so awesome so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and have so much fun on your dive and I hope you will share all the information on how we can follow you and celebrate you while you do that um, and I'll be, make sure that I share it with everybody who has listened oh. so they can also become a fan of yours as I have become. Oh, well, well thank, <laughs> thank you. And the, the fan, the fandom is, is mutual. As I tease you, I, I will never forget that one water bottle I gave you in the, at the Redland cycling classic on the sunset road race. I was like, Oh, she got the bottle. Oh, that's, I'm getting a, bo I'm giving a bottle to Aisha McGowan. I, <laughs> this is fantastic. Aww. She looks so strong. So good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, thank you so much, Aisha. I, it, it is my uh, great pleasure and honor, and I'll, I'll send you links, and uh, including a link to the story about my road bike that was used as a getaway uh, vehicle when our lab on campus was broken into. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> oh boy! And how? And the, and the new right. bike. I will be sure the to share. That resulted from that. Uh, anyway. Okay. Great. Thank you. Alrighty. Have a good day. Bye. Bicycle, 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 bicycle race. I know it's been a while, so thank you so much for listening to this episode of Quick Brown Foxes. If you would like to know more about Dawn Wright, you can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Deep Sea Dawn, D-E-E-P-S-E-A-D-A-W-N. You can also find her on Strava. If you would like to find more on me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I Suppose, A-Y-E-S-U-P-P-O-S-E, -E -E, or at my website at aquickbrownfox.com. Thank you to my sponsors, Live Cycling, SRAM, Zwift, and Carmichael Training Systems for all of your support. And to all of my patrons, thanks so much for sticking it out with me over the years. If you would like to become one of them, you can do so at patreon.com slash aquickbrownfox and join the likes of... Shelly Witt, Meg DeCombs, Puma43, Tonsa Price Edwards, Paige Chase, Meredith Nielsen, Patch Highland, Michael Burns, Christiana E., Patrick Smith, Lauren Zimmer, Andrew Lale, David, Stay Kind, Nicholas Fortin, Spindrift Podcast, Brad Evans, Barbara Burlington, Vladimir Vence, Tariq Saleh, Jesse Orman, Jonathan Biddle, Rachel Olzer, Sandra Walter, Leslie Kimmeyer, Amy Kay, Marnie Ness, Margaret Smitty, Jono Davis, Frank Spinillo, LC, Lucia D, Lewis Hodge, Rosie Jacobson, Kat C, Christina Torres, Leanne Evanson, Jess Strangward, Evan Brooks, and Amy Ongiri. Thank you all so much. 
Until next time. Bye.